1: Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. This is Adriana Linares. Today I'm in New Orleans, my favorite city in America. Hopefully you've listened to one of our episodes before and you know that I'm a legal trainer and technology consultant based all over the place. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Chad Burton, but I'm going to make him wait a second. And I get to actually make him wait because he's sitting about a foot away from me. He is in studio, so we can't be held responsible for anything that gets said or thusly recorded afterwards. But before we get started, I want to make sure and take a second to recognize our sponsors at Solo Practice University. Make sure you check out solopracticeuniversity.com and uh, pick up some good training and tips that one of our previous guests, Susan Cartier-Liebel, puts together on that great website. So today, in studio, I have Chad Burton. Hello, Chad. Hello. I'm so glad you're here. This is very exciting. Chad is a well-known attorney, speaker, writer. As a matter of fact, on our last show, we had Reba Nance and Bill Gibson talking to us about some of the administrative points of getting started, like choosing an entity, talking about banking, trust accounts, and insurance. And I just found out that Chad was one of the contributors to Bill's book, Flying Solo. So, sounds like definitely a good book to run out and get, not just because of um, Chad's contribution to the book, but as a general, overall good book to have. Chad. Yes. You didn't give me a bio before we started.
2: You didn't ask for one. Well, two fails. Two fails. (laughs) We're batting a thousand. We're
1: batting a thousand (laughs) together. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How you, uh, what kind of law you practice, where do you practice?
2: So, you want to know about me?
1: Yeah, tell us about you.
2: Uh, so I, I wear effectively kind of two business hats. One is a Law Firm Burton Law, and uh, second is Cura Legal. Uh, first one, it, Law Firm is a, what's been labeled a virtual law firm model. Uh, whether we like that label or not, it's here for now. We are multi-state, multi-lawyer firm in Ohio, D.C., Kentucky currently, and growing. I practice out of Ohio. Our firm focuses on business law litigation, and uh, typical client base is in the uh, the tech company, whether it's startup to multinational company. It's really good as a solo to you know, narrow your client base, right? So sure. it's so it's one person, startup to you know all over the world and everything <laughs> in between. So hey, think yeah. big, right think, right? think
1: big or go home. Yeah,
2: why be bored? So uh, virtual offer model in that we work outside the traditional brick and mortar setting. And some of the technology we'll talk about today with client intake helps tie us all together. So, that's one thing that I do in Cura Legal. We work with firms. So, Cura Legal is at its core the outsourced uh, managed services for other firms. So, we work with lawyers to not only help them uh, use technology and incorporate best practices for operating their, their firm, but we also have virtual assistants, bookkeeping, marketing, professional services type help as well. So obviously you can see kind of the overlap in those worlds, but that's what I do.
1: Well, that's great. And one of the reasons I was excited to have you on is because you are a lawyer, obviously. You were a solo and you started a business and a practice. And then you also sort of started a side business helping attorneys. So I'm really glad to have you on to talk to us about client intake and what that's like and the some of the best practices in in getting that done so why don't we start with something as simple as so client walks in and you have a conversation or in your case they don't necessarily walk in because you have a virtual office so somehow you're engaging them maybe in a non-traditional way maybe it's the traditional way but once you or both or some you know weird combination of both what happens after you've shook hands and said okay I want to be your attorney, and they say, cool, I want to be your client. What's the next first step?
2: Fortunately, that's how it happens. Yeah, yeah. Sure. May I be your attorney? <laughs> yes, you may. Okay. Check here. Right, exactly. So when you're talking client intake, it's yeah, however you start the relationship. So it's even you know in more traditional models, so many engagements are now getting started electronically or... Uh, you're connected via phone because the person's halfway across the world or the country and you're not seeing face to face. That's part of the interesting part about the virtual model is that it sounds magical and mystical as if I'm sitting in my parents' basement eating Cheetos hoping for a real client to show up.
1: And why wouldn't they?
2: Why wouldn't they? <laughs> right, exactly. I have a computer. But you know, the way engagements are started, they're happening remotely, regardless of your type of firm, big, small, whatever. So, High-level thinking on client intake is that you know you hug, you agree that you're going to be their lawyer. I assume everybody does that, right?
0: I always That's, hug my lawyers. Right?
2: Who wouldn't? Um, and then it's how you can you be most efficient in getting them into your world and start serving them, doing the lawyering part. Now, one thing. So you've got different topics we can cover. You clown check, which should happen before you hug.
0: Right. So that's okay. kind of a Let's backing there. up,
2: you know, even before the hug and high five occurs. Right. Conflict check is, it's one of those things that everybody knows, well, should know, because if you went to law school and, or you've read the ethics rules, it matters that figuring out, okay, make sure you haven't represented somebody and in the solo world. It's, it seems like it's a lot easier because you can, if you're a solo, you can, you know in your head, hey, I haven't. I'm good either side. It's not going to be a problem. I remember, right? Because I remember. I would remember, which it sounds logical, especially when you're starting off because you have maybe you have a limited scope of clients. But years pile up and people pile up, and conflict checks are not just about have you represented them in you know, an engagement. Well, what if they're a related party that's tangentially involved in a previous matter, or what happens if you. Get involved. you're involved in some litigation at some point or uh, general corporate representation, and then a subpoena comes down the road later on. You still have to do conflict checks with subpoenas and different issues. So it is really important, and it can get lost, and I've seen this. Um, It really surprised me because I came out of the large law firm world before I went to the small firm world, and conflict checks in the big firm world are just what you do. And there's so many lawyers. It's whole departments, right? Right, departments and and systems, systems, processes. That doesn't happen as much in the small firm world, but it should. It should. It's even, yeah. Because I mean, even if you partner up with one or two people, you now have two or, or three pasts, you know, histories that you're bringing together that could affect this. And I've seen it firsthand where some lawyers don't get that that really matters as much. And so, yes.
1: I was raising my hand. Oh, you have a question. I I do, and I didn't want to just interrupt you without you being ready for me to interrupt you. Quick question on the conflict checks that I just thought of. So you said you came from a big firm. Yes. So let's say you're a a big firm attorney, and you decide to go out on your own. Do your conflict checks that you're now doing, let's say you literally hung your shingle yesterday, first potential client walks in, do you have to then go back to who you could have or tangentially big lawyer word that you use there
2: i don't know what that means it just
1: fit in um do you have to do that like is that part of your conflict check oh when i was at big law firm i may have gone across some documents and searching for a new document where i read about that that client like is is that how far back you have to go in a conflict check or is it basically and this might be an ethics question that you can answer but answer it the best that you can
2: okay so the disclaimer up front is it's going to vary state by state but if we go generally let's go general those conflicts are going to follow you throughout your career mm. it doesn't so that's you know if you've got 40 years under your belt you're going to have if those will follow you so yeah you go big firm I have to look at represent new representations in our firm now that could be up against what I did at the you know at a previous firm right and that goes for everybody Oh, so wow. so it's you know, if you have a firm of six, seven lawyers and they were at six, seven firms in the past, that's all going to carry. Now, that doesn't necessarily preclude you from being adverse because you know this is where you're gonna dive into the, the rules to figure out the actual is there a conflict, but you have to carry it along with you and have that as part of the process.
1: So part of getting started is there's so there's probably two roads. If you're a new attorney, then the concept is just start a good conflict checking system right now. Yep. Make the habit, find a system, find a way, even while you can still remember everything you've done. So right. if you're brand new, start a good habit, it's gonna help you for the rest of your career. If you've been practicing, you've got to go back and then now start a new habit, a new system that will you you'll use on a go forward basis.
2: Correct. And that's where the I mean that's where your your platform that you know you use is really important in the way
1: gmail is gmail a good way to do conflict checks
2: it's part of it so here's i'll tell you what our process is it's there's two parts to it there so we use clio for our practice management solution okay so potential client comes in lawyer goes into clio does searches to it because the conflict check feature in clio do searches is there anything that comes up there that you have to have your eyes on and you can reach out to the lawyers involved etc we also simultaneously well i guess you can't do it at the exact same time unless you're really good uh, right. you send an all-firm email that puts all the parties and the brief description idea so then it would be unreasonable to think that you could bring put into Clio now everything you've ever done in the past that wasn't part of burton law mm-hmm. but by sending the email it puts it in front of your face, so everybody in the firm looks at it and says, nope, we're good there. And um, so that email, and then that email is also saved in Clio, so now it's memorialized there, so those parties will pop up in the future if it becomes an issue.
1: So let's talk real quick about Clio, and not necessarily just about Clio, but of course as a technology consultant and trainer, one of the things that I just recommend every single time I talk to a new lawyer is... You've got to have a practice management or a case management system in place. So we're familiar with Clio. We'll use it as an example, but I want our listeners to know that any good legal specific practice management system is going to do this very thing, which is it's keeping track of all the parties, adverse, uh, the clients, related parties, experts emails that are being put into the system where somebody is just CC'd. So what if the person that you're you know, doing the conflict check against might not be a direct contact, but perhaps they were CC'd on a string of emails from on another matter? Just doing a search on that name is going to bring back all the results, whether it's a contact who's actually in your address book, a name in um, a matter record, in an email, and that sort of stuff, right? Yep. And that's important is just to find where that name or that entity Could show up somewhere in the history of your law practice, whether it be very short or very long. Right.
2: And that's where, in having, when you start gathering that data from a, you know, building that historical record, if you think about it from a larger firm perspective where you have whole conflicts of departments, Mm -hmm. this is the kind of stuff they're digging into. They're really going in and analyzing it and doing these kind of searches and digging into the information that exists in the firm. And this is where. You hear folks talk about, well, law, practice management solution, I'm just getting started. Uh, right. I've got Outlook. I've which got so much stuff to do. I've got Outlook. I can keep track of it. I know. I, I know what's in my law firm bank account because it's just me. I know who owes me money because it's a short list. I can just keep track of it this way what you're doing though is you know and hopefully you're doing you know, you're starting something with the idea that it's actually going to succeed. So if it grows, <laughs> that it seems like a good thought.
1: Goal number 1. Uh,
2: but but you're building that data to use later on. And so if 5 years down the road, you've got a bunch of lawyers in your firm, well now you've captured that data and you've got that that record that's there and that's that's important to do.
1: Okay. Well good. So I feel like we've sort of
2: Be, conflict
1: check, done. Okay, so let's move on. So you've done the conflict check. Now the actual hug can happen. And what happens next?
2: Yeah, this is where you are setting up matters and whatever your practice management solution is. So you're going to set up the matter going forward so that your team or if you're solo, you can access the information. Hopefully you're using a platform that's actually useful and you can access the information from anywhere. But... The way we do matter setups is that we, we created a, a PDF that is uh, fillable by the lawyers to capture key data for putting it into Clio and setting up box and how we're going to deliver invoices. So if the client doesn't want a Clio Connect invoice, they say, can you just email me a PDF attachment? We put that kind of note in there. Yes.
1: So when I first started my career, one of the very first articles I ever wrote was an idea that law firms should have a technology compatibility questionnaire with their clients. Because so often what would happen is I would go to a secretary who couldn't open a document from a client. And this was 15 years ago. So this happened all the time. It still happens today. But I would say, why can't you open the document? And she would say, I don't know. It just won't open. And I would say, well, do they use WordPerfect because we're a word shop? And she would say, I don't know. And I was offended because one, I was new in the business and I didn't understand how this could happen. But I also thought, uh, haven't they been a client of ours for 15 years? Right. And she would say, yes. And I would say, how do we not know? So are you sort of saying that in that questionnaire, you're also capturing how you're going to communicate with them technologically? Correct. Use, okay, good. Yes. I love that idea. So even if you're a solo, this is not hard. You just collect, you, it's a series of right. questions.
2: And the reason why we use this form is we uh, use virtual assistants to set up these matters and to produce the engagement letter. The, the reason why we do this uniform practice is because if you have seven lawyers doing it seven different ways, it becomes a cluster of what's actually being put in. Sure. You're busy. And I used to do this as a solo as well. Um, when I was setting up the matters myself, I would say, I'll do it tomorrow. Right. I'll remember. And then... Well, let me just put my time over here, and then I'll put it back into... And now it's like a month later, you're ready to invoice them, and now you have to go back and do all this work. It's just so much easier to start doing it up front. So we created this matter, and our lawyers can either type it out themselves, or... Actually, I I send uh, voice memos with the data for the form, so the virtual assistant listens to it, types it in to Clio directly. It's a lot faster for me. Sure. um, Okay,
1: so you're in the car. Yep. You hit voice record on your iPhone... You put in the information, you send it to the virtual assistant. Boom, it gets entered.
2: They populate it. Then what's going to happen is the matter is going to be set up in Clio. We use Box to store documents, which integrates with Clio. So they're going to also set up the folder tree in Box. Right. Um, that's going to occur for
1: documents. So yes, you're setting the, up now the infrastructure correct. in the in the matter management system.
2: Correct. Okay. And then which is we important it is. And then uh, engagement letter is generated and and then sent to the client. Usually we'll pop that out via box, and uh, we're in the process of integrating, uh, sad that I'm saying this out loud, that we don't have it already set up. And it's electronic being recorded signature. and
1: memorialized. No, it's, a, yes. Okay.
2: The electronic signature concept into engagement letters. Oh, you haven't uh, done that yet. No. I'm
1: surprised. Wow. Uh, Whoa, demerits. Long,
2: long story. Demerits. I have been trying to do this, and it's a, <laughs> it's a good vendor story. So we're in the process of doing that now. Okay. So,
1: a um, couple so, of questions about the form itself. Because yep. we talked about how do you want things? How do I, you know, do you want an e bill? Do you want a paper bill? What other three or four must have things do you put on the retainer engagement letter?
2: Your uh, the, I mean, yeah, the fee structure is going to be the key. So, okay. if it's fee structure, put that in there. We have a pretty standard engagement letter concept that may or may not have been lifted from my previous firm because hey, ever that's does how, that. That's how we all do it, right? That's really good. So why not use it? And it's been adapted over time because things like, including you know that you know we use cloud-based technology to store documents and you know that kind of stuff. And oh, we so also- you're
1: including like a disclaimer and a terms of service and an FYI in there? Correct. Oh,
2: so. The actually in the process of kind of changing up the engagement letter to be a very short document that incorporates terms of service so that that will be we'll probably save it on box and there'll be a link in the agreement or letter whatever the short shortened version of it is but then we would have the uh, terms of service in it part of that's also going to be because um, in our model we've been uh, started to work with some of council that have their own solo practice elsewhere Under the ethics rules and Ohio, and I'm guessing most states, you have to disclose to the client that they also have their own practice. So, what we can do is put that in the terms of service. And then, so that's constantly being updated. If I add a new lawyer, they're in, and we can keep track of it there.
1: Okay. Any other good things to make sure you put in there? I
2: mean, there's a lot of things you should put in an engagement letter. Obviously, fee structures, the um, how costs are handled is always an interesting one. what is pass along so it's not a, a surprise to the client that they're getting billed for x y and z if you pass along we don't do a lot of pass alongs actually because i don't like that and whether that's we don't i adopted a practice that we started at previous firm of not charging clients for research services so Lexis is not passed through at Interesting. all. Interesting. and the do you raise your
1: rates a little because of that like, do you figure out a way to roll that in or do you just, it just gets absorbed? It's just and somehow part of our it overall,
2: it's, I mean, it's just part of our overall structure, operating structure. Yeah. Th- that we don't, we won't pass along small coffee jobs and things like that or a stamp. It's just if. What? So do you
1: know how much money lawyers make every year off a of stamp? I know.
2: It'd be so smart. Yeah. But I don't ever want a client to look at an invoice and have a question on a cost issue. Right. Okay. Um, so that's smart. So what about
1: um, how long you're gonna keep their documents or what happens to their documents yep, when the document matter retention
2: is over? yeah the you know, basically it lays out um, all the different pieces of the engagement we've done a conflict check and everything's clear there's a line in our engagement letter that exists that you know they have to that the client will yeah pay for costs including uh, train travel which is awesome because we don't have trains really in Ohio sure. but we include that because it's fun. I've had a client come back once and said, it showed they actually read it. It was a, another lawyer. She said, I'm fine with everything, but I will not pay for your train travel.
1: <laughs> what about jetpack travel? Je- well, that that's covered? cool. Totally cool. Jetpack travel must be Actually, when then. the
2: uh, the check came out of uh, the, they sent it from their bank for a bill pay, the account was, uh, uh, it actually didn't have their firm name. It just said train travel on the check <laughs> for the bill pay, so I knew it was there, so... <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor.
0: Ready to create and build your own solo or small firm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360-degree experience of starting a business? There is only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals. Solo Practice University the only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today.
1: Welcome back to New Solo. I'm Adriana Linares, and in studio with me today is Chad Burton. He's an attorney, an entrepreneur, a speaker, a writer, and a friend. And over the last uh, segment, we talked about conflict checks and retainer and engagement letters and threw in a lot of other good tips there about, you know, getting this thing, launching this practice. Chad, I want to ask you, you're a pretty methodical guy, and maybe you weren't when you were solo and, you know, you've developed these processes through your experience with a big firm as a solo, and now managing a seven-attorney virtual firm. Which, by the way, will you come back one day and talk to us about virtual lawyering? Sure. That'd be so exciting. It's a it, sexy it be, topic. It would
2: be very exciting. That, that
1: is a sexy topic. I never um, get to
2: talk about it, so it'll be perfect. Oh, my so. God.
1: <laughs> and as the vice chair of your e-lawyering task force someday... Right. I could contribute.
2: That's right. Because maybe someday someday you'll learn. Someday
1: I'll learn a little bit about that. (laughs) So let's talk about process. So I'm a a brand new solo, whether I big firm again or just out of law school, and I don't think about process because surely there's not a process class other than the legal side of process, process. But they don't teach you how to build a process to intaking clients and, and dealing with the data and then how to work with it long-term. So give us some ideas about how you did it, tools that you used. And I want you real quick also to describe Box because you've mentioned it many times and it's possible that our listeners don't know what it is, but you can probably say it's like Dropbox and they'd get it. But go
2: ahead. Right. Okay. So process. Yeah, it's something that one of my issues, I guess I have lots of issues, but one of them is the, I know.
1: We should call your wife right now. Do we
2: have some extra time? Because I would need (laughs) to share some problems that I've got. I'm one of those people that cannot stop testing out different types of apps and platforms and things like that. Now, when I became a solo, this was in early 2010. So think in years of cloud-based solutions, right. we're early on. Clio, Rocket right. Matter are about two years old or so yep, at that point. they were the new darlings. They're new. And um, coming from the bigger firm world, I had no idea this stuff existed. Right. And um, I just wrote on this recently for something, uh, ABA, but I impulsively bought a Mac when I started my solo practice. Oh, wow, because that's a whole was,
1: episode right there.
2: It is, and it is awesome. The uh, uh, Come to MiloFest. Well, I guess I talked about it last year at MiloFest. Macs in law offices, so lawyers that use yeah. Macs. Yeah, great resource. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a uh, listserv. Google group. Yeah, and, uh, and a, a conference in the fall. So I bought this Mac and then went to oh, let me go get some software to put on it to manage my practice. Eh, didn't exist. Because, <laughs> right. no, you know, dumbly, people don't make it for, you know, traditional software for Macs because w- Mac users are awesome. They should. And so then that's when I got introduced to the cloud concept. So I tried, even before um, I used Clio, I used some other platforms and was mixing and matching things together. So, I right. you was know, trying high-rise. It was hilarious using my political science and history uh, degrees to try and figure out QuickBooks on my own, (laughs) which was awesome. Um, I kind of became an accountant, sadly, every six months when I would look at it and say, I should probably put that in QuickBooks. Um, It's a good idea. This is why outsourcing. After I started outsourcing stuff, it became so much easier because you're actually giving it to people that know how to do it. That are
1: competent. Right, that that are competent. Topic. Right, exactly.
2: That's why I outsourced my legal work. No, I'm just kidding. It's kind of But trying, so when you're talking about process and procedures, you need something, and um, it's a trial and error, depending upon your type of practice. I want to focus on mobility. So, how does it work? You know, how can we set up matters, etc.? That's where the virtual assistants come in, where it doesn't matter where I am, where they are to set this stuff up. Yeah, you know, sometimes I meet uh, new clients face face, and I don't put an engagement letter in front of them. It's going to get emailed later on. But some lawyers like to. Let's say you're doing personal injury or you're doing criminal defense. You want to get the engagement set up, and they're probably going to drop a check off when you're they're in your office. Um, this is where, you know, a lot of people use forms or just kind of fill in engagement letters or retainer agreements where they handwrite the name in and things. Right. Processes that could be very cool would be using an iPad, putting it in front of them. Right. They they type it in, it gets emailed off, it gets put into your practice management system. So these are the kind of things you want to think about based on how you operate as a firm and your client base as to what that those processes are. And there's a lot of value in doing it first so then you're not like I was you know, you're always going to be making stuff up. But you know, if you're not trying it at all or you're not really strategically thinking about it, it just takes a ton of time.
1: And, and, and it's frustrating. And what happens is when you don't take the time to create a process, the next time you're actually going through the process, because you're going through a process every time. It's right. just a matter of how efficiently you're doing that. Right. So getting a form. So if you actually take the time to move the form into a fillable form and then figure out maybe how to make that form available on your website. That two or three hours that you spend, which you think you don't have to spend because none of us have to spend, but when you do it, formalizing that process is so helpful and it's just such a relief when you get around to doing that. It's incredible.
2: Yeah, and if you write it down, which sounds like a horrible exercise to capture your processes, but. As you add team members, or even if you hire an assistant, right, Or you have a bookkeeper that is doing, you've got processes in place that you can then point them towards, they read it, go through it. They're always evolving documents. Our policies and procedures are uh, ever evolving documents internally. It's um, so you do that, but so you bring somebody on to your team, then you can say, read this, We're in, you know we'll talk through it, but it puts something there. So in theory, they can you know if a question arises, nobody actually goes back to the document, they just ask somebody else, right. they can go back, read the document um, and know what those procedures are. I'm thinking I'm trying to uh, there's uh, several different ways to do it, but I want to explore something like a Zendesk idea mm-hmm, internally sure. with the firm. All right, internal wiki kind of thing. So maybe, yeah, maybe like a Google. uh, What's a Google site? Whatever you can. It's kind of an internal wiki. You can set up, attach a Google Drive, something like that. that So there's
1: there's a lot of places that you could put information like that to make it so that you're not repeating it all the time. Or for me, I know when I'm training someone new to help me, it's so piecemeal. No, I remember this, and then I've got to go back to her four times because I forgot this step or forgot this piece or forgot this part. So I think the takeaway here is create great habits from the beginning, and you're doing it and thinking like a business owner, not a lawyer. Right. And that's the hard part, right, for lawyers, to think like business people. You know, I've got to get my conflict check system right. I've got to get my um, engagement letters as perfect as I can, recognizing that they're going to evolve and change all the time, but I don't want to be creating a new one every single time. And think about the processes that make that whole process of onboarding, orienting, as I like to say, uh, clients into working with you, orienting, well, ranting, yes, I rant often, but orienting clients to working together. Well, looks like we've reached the end of our program. We would like to invite Chad to share his contact information. Let us know, uh, our listeners, where people can read more about you, read about the cool things that you're doing with your law firm and with Curo Legal. That's com. Correct. What else? Chad uh, E. Burton.
2: Chad E. Burton is Twitter. So that's an easy one. Burton Law, yeah. Twitter. Curo Legal, Twitter.
1: So a lot of great places works. where you can be yeah. found. Well... Thank you so much for coming on. It's been really fun having you here. And I'm going to have you come back, talk to us about virtual lawyering, maybe virtual assistants, because you mentioned that you use those a lot. So obviously, when done right, that's something that can help solos. For all of you listeners who'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit new solo at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Don't forget, you can uh, stalk us, just like we like to stalk other people. You can also stalk Legal Talk Network via iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. And that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Adriana Linares. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time for another great episode. And remember, you're not alone.
0: Your New Solo. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice. Solo, here on Legal Talk Network.